Hey everyone, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we are a podcast about whatever is kind of going on in our lives. Molly and I are married, we've got four kids, and we live uh, in a world where people are weird and hard. So this is our, I don't know, it's kind of our reality chronicling journey of our lives where you like to discuss. We, we discuss. Remember last time you made a really good point? Oh yeah, I did make a really good point last time. (laughs) It's mostly me teeing her up because she's really, really smart and I'm just kind of here as the Mike Trout of the Jim Dobson. (laughs) Wow, that was a blast from the past. (laughs) I wonder how many people out there will get that. Um... I don't know. We'll about we'll we'll find out though. So yeah, we to be fair, we don't have uh, an agenda. I do put in the show notes um, a timestamp of most major or uh, kind of a trail of major major topics we talk about. So we don't know what we talk about. Sometimes this is our only conversation during the week. Um, and since you've been gone since Monday morning, Monday morning, and it is Thursday afternoon, and you got back fairly late yesterday, it took you a full two hours at least. To drive home from Red Ledge yesterday. It was nasty. You guys, we had a big a patrol uh, three days Ski a week. Ski patrol. Ski patrol three days a week up on the mountain. And we got blasted with a huge storm. Um, I think our totals at the end of Tuesday were about 37 inches of new snow. Or at the end of day, Tuesday. Um, started on Monday. In the roads between... <laughs> you guys, the roads were so bad. It was kind of like they were ice covered and hard pack. But there was also huge chunks of like where s- chunks of ice and snow had fallen off of vehicles that yeah well, there, and, and then there was and then there was big old potholes where there was no ice on the road Ugh. and the ice was probably an inch to an inch and a half maybe even two inches thick in some spots and then it had um you know big rigs had come through with chains on and so they'd gouge these Ugh. huge divots and everything and it was like driving a bad gravel road so I was only going 30 because the whole van was just like shaking apart. I'm like, I'm not going to go 50 on this road. This is terrible. The van's going to fall apart. It was yeah. really, really rough. I was actually tracking while I was at the church meeting. I was tracking your progress. And I was like, he's still in Joliet. Last time I checked, he was in Joliet. And he's still in Joliet. Well, sometimes it, was... it does take a minute for No, I was letting it update. But... It was that you... Where it took 10 oh, minutes even just to drive through a little yeah. town sort of thing. Yeah, all those little towns, the the highway is 70, but all those little towns drop to 25, and there's five or six of them on the way home. So the road, when I drove the kids to Judo on Tuesday evening, the road that we normally take up on top of, if you're a Billings person, airport road, because it had snowed some, and then, you know, the road is black, so it's warmer, and the wind was just screaming across that, and there's nothing breaking the wind. And it had built up so much ice on Airport Road pretty much the entire way, except for where there was a little bit of break from something blocking the wind. It was sheer ice for that entire drive. And Titus at one point goes, why did you just breathe so deeply? And I was like, because I just realized I'm holding my breath. And <laughs> there's... I was giving enough space to the vehicle in front of me that if it had stopped, I would hopefully have had time to stop. But the car behind me was not giving me enough space at all. So I was constantly having to gauge how much space do I have with the car in front of me? And, you know, can I make accommodate for the fact that somebody is behind me more closely than I'm comfortable with? And then behind them was a FedEx van. So tons of momentum behind a 
it, it was just it was sheer ice and on the other side of the road there were vehicles off the road and I got to judo and was talking to the instructors and one of the instructor's wives had just driven that road too and he was like oh yeah my wife said it was terrible so I drove home through town where there wasn't wind screaming across and where the roads had probably been plowed and we drive past I came down past the metro down first and we drove past our vet's office and the kids our veterinary office and the kids don't usually go that way very much and so I pointed out to them oh there's Dr. Burst's office and Dr. Burst has had that veterinary clinic since I was a little kid because my parents have been taking their pets to him since we lived closer to that part of town when I was here's a fun fact when I was in elementary school I wanted to be a veterinarian growing up and so Dr. Burst, who it turns out is a very kind and generous Christian man. My parents suspected he was Christian for years and then found out that his kids go to one of the local, went, they're all old now, went to one of the local Christian schools that we had some friends at with them. And anyway, he, I have lots of great things that I could say about Dr. Burst, so I was not planning to go there today. Uh, he's, just, just to give you guys a little preview, he, as a Christian, has what I would consider an appropriate view of animal care, which is that he loves animals, but he does not place them above humans, which I keep teaching my kids this. We love our pets, but they are not made in the image of God. Human beings have a soul that will last forever made in God's image, and that makes even the most random human being that you've never met and you will never meet on the other side of the world more valuable and precious to God and therefore to us than the cat who sleeps on your bed every night. So I'm actually, Titus will, I'll catch something. You'll catch, Titus will catch me snuggling the cat or something. And he'll be like, remember, it doesn't have a soul that'll last forever, not made in God's image. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, this is true. Anyway, so he's had this office and he keeps his prices super low, partly because he doesn't invest in x-ray equipment or any special testing that you would have to go somewhere else. He doesn't, for example, set pets broken bones and things like that. And so, and he has this office that he's had for years and years and years. It's in a not great part of town now. And just to the east of his office. Well, maybe not not great. Just isn't an industrial. It's an industrial kind of under. Hasn't been developed in about thirty or forty years. That's industrial true. There's a little town. bit of revitalization going on. In happening. fact, Thirsty Street, where you work, is just like four blocks down yes, from it. That's true. That's been more revitalized. Well, do do you know what is due east of Doctor Burst's office? It's the loft, isn't it? What is the loft? I don't know the, the name of it. Nightclub. Uh, it's not a nightclub. It's just an adult shop. Yeah, it's right below the night. There's a, lot, a nightclub There's up a night there. Club it's there. considered the the LGBTQ friendly nightclub. Oh, okay. Well, there in the window was mannequins of women wearing lingerie, and Elise happened to look up right when I said, "There's Doctor Burst's office," and she goes, "What?" She was outraged that our veterinarian would have scantily clad women in his window. And she's like, I am never going to the vet again. And I was like, um, that's not the vet. That's just a store for women's underwear. And she was like, oh, I will not. I'm still not going to the vet again if that's next door. Which is funny because Elise, I don't know if you guys have multiple kids have this, but Elise is our kid 
who just was born with more, how do I say this, joy in her body than, than some of our other kids. Like, she, when she was two or three, after we'd moved into this house, we have a pergola with, a, with some poles coming down. And she was basically pole dancing on one of them. And I was like, where on earth did she get that? She just found something that seemed fun to wrap her leg around and swing around on it on the ground and just came naturally to her. Anyway, and she's also sort of obsessed with the bikini, as she calls it, that Leia was forced to wear in whatever episode of Star Wars that is. She, ref- she refers to that a lot. But I'm, uh, you guys, I'm one of those moms that I'm pretty much a full P of... Uh, one piece or tankini swimsuit mom for my girls, even before they start developing bodies that they want to show off. I prefer to keep them, their natural modesty as intact as possible. And so they don't have bikinis and Elise doesn't want one, but she's sort of fascinated with the idea of women wearing them. (laughs) And, and yet the idea that our veterinary's office would have that was horrifying to her. It was funny. <laughs> oh, Elise. Oh, goodness. I don't yeah. have anything to add to that. I'm just like... All right, just We did get, you guys, it. we did just get our um, our chicken nesting box in the mail yesterday. So I've got to yep. start building that tractor so Molly can get her hands on chickens. Get some baby chicks. I and... suggested she order them early. And like get on ahead of time because I feel like springtime it's going to hit and everybody's going to try having their own chickens and chickens are going to be in high demand. It It's true. I told you I was shopping on Tractor Supply Company's website, mm-hmm. right? And they are already, I mean, it's going to be almost 20 below in Billings next week. It's yeah. it's cold. I mean, I think you keep baby chicks in a tub in your garage for a while anyway and we need a heat lamp and feeding apparatus and watering apparatus and all sorts of stuff that I need to figure out. But I was on Tractor Supply Company's website and they were uploading new batches of chicks every week, and they were selling out almost instantly already. So I, I have, I'm in touch with a local friend who has chickens, and they incubated uh, like 100 eggs last year. 30 of them hatched, and she was kind of discouraged that it was not a great outcome. Um, but she's going to give that a try again this year. How long does it take? Like when is she expecting we're going to have Well, I don't know if she's already doing it. Because then it's going to be like, then the chicks have to grow up before they can start laying eggs. Yeah, it takes months before they're able to start laying eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So we might not even have like winter. And then winter will hit and then they'll stop laying eggs again. No, I think by fall. We'll have like one month's worth of eggs. No, first year layers lay through the winter, supposedly, is what I'm learning. I don't know. We have a lot to learn, you guys. Chickens still scare me, so I'm glad that we're starting small. It's kind of like somebody asked me the other day about homeschooling in middle a middle schooler because I'm much. Tem- so I'm really not in any rush to build this chicken tractor, is what you're saying. Well, we have no idea when we're going to get chicks, and then they've got to grow up before we can even put them in there. For I mean, you have a month or so, probably month and a half. You need it before we go on vacation in late March. Do I? Yes. They're still going to be living in the garage, aren't they? No. No. Do they you know, grow, you they don't grow even, fast. You don't even know when you're getting them. You're right. I don't know. I do know they grow fast. <laughs> um, so, you guys, speaking of crunchy uh. things and doing things at home, I've done two new things in the last week. 
One is when I ordered my whole set of seeds, I also ordered a broccoli sprouting kit. So broccoli sprouts are, I can send JR a link. Broccoli sprouts are crazy good for you. They've got all sorts of, like a hundred times as good for you than, I don't know how my Oh, that's right. Here. That's what you had served. You gave me. A piece of sourdough bread uh-huh. with goat cheese, bagel seasoning, and a pile of broccoli sprouts. Oh, man, you guys, it was so good. They're good. Because I walked They're... into the kitchen this morning after I got back from a job, and I saw a piece of toast with some avocado, and I'm like, oh, that... Molly gave me something the other day that was amazing, but I just couldn't remember what it was. Yeah, avocado toast with broccoli sprouts on it would be good, too, but... They're they're good. They're a little bit spicier than if you remember the sprouts of your youth when moms would buy alfalfa sprouts. They're so easy to grow. I will have JR post a link to Amazon. It's not the same as the broccoli sprouting kit that I bought. It's it's a on Amazon there's a plastic lid set that our local Ace Hardware also sells that you just screw onto a mason jar. And you literally just soak broccoli seeds in water for six to eight hours, and then you drain it and turn it upside down so it's constantly draining, but there's some moisture retained in a wide mouth mason jar. And then you rinse them and drain them a couple times a day for four days. And on day five, you set it and you keep it in a warm but not bright sunlight place. So I've been keeping it in the corner of my kitchen that doesn't get sunlight. And then on the last day when they seem big enough, you stick it in sunlight so the leaves can really absorb vitamin D, absorb that sunlight and turn bright green. And then you put them in the fridge and eat them. And two tablespoons of broccoli seeds makes a whole quart of broccoli sprouts. And I've been eating them on everything this week. I feel like the joy of it will wear off a little bit. So... I'll maybe go to making one batch every other week eventually. But if you want to try getting into sprouts or having a powerhouse vegetable antioxidant food supply that you can grow yourself indoors year round. Do we have sprouts upstairs right now? We do have some broccoli sprouts upstairs right now. I'm going to eat that snack before I go to my next meeting after we record. It's good. I also made... Oh, this is another food thing that I made that I thought I thought almost everybody... I thought this was a ubiquitous food slash snack, but it apparently isn't. I Our little homeschool co-op had a Valentine's party on Tuesday, which was kind of hilarious because there were moms there who had been homeschooled all growing up and hadn't really done Valentine's parties. And so the idea of bringing a box for other kids to put the Valentine's in was really overwhelming for them. My mom managed all of our kids making boxes and they, at least Lily and Faith made these super creative, cute. Lily's was like a monster on toilet paper tube stilts that she wrapped in red and white polka dot wrapping paper. And then the stilts weren't super stable. So she made it an upside down monster (laughs) and had the legs sticking up. Faith made a little monster with pom-poms and teeth and I don't know what else. I can't remember Elise's. Well, Titus was obligated to have a box. So he literally took an Amazon box, taped it shut, and cut like a four-by-two hole in the top and wrote the name Jim on it. (laughs) Such a random boy thing. And I was like, you know what? I like your style. 
I like that you are you and you're just doing your thing. Good for you. Um, anyway, I used puff pastry, which was homemade because I'm cheap and I like that I have control over all the ingredients, but you can do store-bought. You just bake a sheet of that and then smear cream cheese that you mix with dry ranch dressing as the as the next layer on it. And then I mixed in some cheddar cheese because I like cheese. And then you just sprinkle finely chopped vegetables over the top of it. So I did finely chopped carrots, broccoli, cucumber, and cherry tomatoes. And I thought, you know, maybe there's some kids out there who will eat this. There was not a single kid who ate it. <laughs> the moms loved it. And there were several moms who were like, I've never heard of anything like this before. And I don't. my mom made it when I was a kid growing up. Something very similar to that. But anyway... What made me think of that was that <coughs> that that cream cheese mixed with ranch dressing mm-hmm. smeared over a cracker or a piece of toast or a an English muffin or something with some broccoli sprouts on top is also very good. Mm. So anyway, if you guys are interested, I really encourage you to try out the broccoli sprout thing. It's very satisfying to in four or five days have this really healthy tasty harvest you guys so uh mine i've been married for 14 14 and a half 14 and a half and we've always gone about once a year we've always gone to see her now late uh grandmother in laramie wyoming and i ever since i've been in the family i've heard nothing but tales of how great your grandparents were at gardening and growing. I mean, they took it very seriously. It's not just a family sense of inflated, though. They were literally on the garden tour of Laramie, Wyoming every year. People would pay to come see their garden. Yeah. So, both in my both vegetables and flowers. Yeah. And so then, um, her, you know, your dad, um, Started doing, started becoming very active in his own garden. In well, my parents have had a garden mm-hmm. since I, all growing up. Yep. Even <clears throat> the house that I lived in growing up, we did not have a well. We did not have city water. My dad had to haul all of our water by the tank, and he worked close to this fill-up station. So he would pump quarters into this fill-up station for water and haul all of our own water. Every He would haul water every weekday that he was in and out of town. So it was a really a labor yeah. of love to have a garden. Yeah. It was. So I get we get married. We move into this property with uh two and a half acres or whatever and and your dad mentions maybe we should do a garden and I suggest maybe doing a garden. You're like, Nope, I don't want anything too to do much the work. garden, too much work. I, <laughs> I don't have a green thumb. <laughs> I don't have a green thumb, yada yada yada. So then one year we just said I, I think maybe it was me. I was like, Well, screw it, we're just gonna plant something for you fun. You did. The kids can plant stuff. I grabbed a rototiller, tilled up five big rows. And we dug a little trench in the middle, and the kids literally just kind of spread seeds everywhere. I've got this picture of uh, Elise. I can picture the picture. Picture of Elise standing in kind of chilly spring wind. Because she was like two or three. Grinning from ear to ear, sprinkling seeds into this little trench And not a single carrot seed germinated. (laughs) Because we had no way of watering it consistently. They were either buried too deep or right on the surface. Anyway, but we did have a lot of stuff then come up, and 
I something clicked and Molly became a garden Nazi. <laughs> well, because then I was like, like, if we're gonna super into if it. we're gonna do this, we we're gonna do it right. But it's yes, just funny. I was it like, is. It's, it's in your blood. I think it is kind of in my blood. Um, also, the more expensive groceries have gotten, both because of how many mouths we're feeding and because of inflation. Uh, producing our own secure food supply that is healthy and uncontaminated with things has become more and more important to me. And then how to preserve that food supply. Uh, so I've kind of grown in a organic way, no pun intended, of, <laughs> of how I've become interested in these things. But you, I have, I have to go back and tell you though, you do not have to have a green thumb to grow broccoli sprouts. Telling you people, <laughs> grow some broccoli sprouts. You will be so, so pleased with yourself and so satisfied if you like sprouts. I don't know. I'm contemplating trying to see how how well they blend into a smoothie to try to get into our kids' diets because our kids won't even touch. They won't touch them. They won't try them. I like the mouthfeel of sprouts. They're so crunchy. And broccoli ones, they've got a little bit of that broccoli, raw broccoli spicer kick. But it's if you don't like like the weird broccoli kind of sulfuric taste that broccoli, especially raw broccoli, has, it doesn't have any of that. You, I don't think it tastes anything like raw broccoli. It tastes a little bit like a really, really mild radish to me. Very mild, though. It's not spicy. It's just got a little je ne sais quoi. Speaking of other languages... <laughs> Um, I had a moment in our Spanish class the other day that I thought, hmm, if anybody out there has a kid learning Spanish, here's a little uh, countercultural thing you can squeeze in there. I was teaching the Spanish class at our co-op, the oldest kids, which are high school and middle school, the difference between the Spanish verbs ser and estar. So if you speak Spanish at all, you know that there are two ways to say to be, like I am, you are, he is, we are, they are. In Spanish, there are two different verbs for that that you use in different circumstances. So you use estar when you're talking about location, uh, when you're talking about how you're feeling, basically anything that is temporary, and then location is thrown in there because your house, unless your Wizard of Oz doesn't get up and move, but sí. estar also refers to claro que sí. permanent location. And then ser is things that are permanent. So you would use a star with I am hungry or I am happy or I am sad because those things change. You ser with I am tall, I my hair is brown, I am a man, I am a woman. <laughs> and ah, I was like entiendo. I was like, can can we change, you know, if you're a man or a woman? And there's there's two high schoolers in there, and one of the high school kids kind of kind of smirked and like laughed at the point that I was making, and a lot of the other kids it kind of went over their head. But I was like, "We are just working on cementing the God-given binary in how the world works." Ser, soy mujer, eres varón. I am a woman. You are a man. We use ser because that's not something that can change. Every cell in my body, ser is a male or female DNA, depending on which one God made you as. You know, I we. it's funny hearing, I don't know, there's been a couple times recently where I'm just kind of surprised when I hear people um, just kind of mock the whole idea of this fluid gender because thing. Because it's from becoming sources, so absurd. From sources that just, like there's a, a comedian on Twitter 
you know, there's been some coworkers and I'm just like, huh, that's not really what I would have expected. Cause I kind of just assume people around me just gravitate towards whatever the latest towards thing the is. Towards the absurdity, and... but it's becoming so absurd that, you know, depending on your view of, of the frog in the pot with people and culture and being told just to repeat the things that, that they're supposed to believe, uh, it does seem like there are people who've reached a snapping point of I'm, I'm tolerant, I'm inclusive, but I'm also a realist and you can't be frog self. You are either herself or himself and you can't really try that. (laughs) Anyway, it is absurd. There's an article that I, I think I was going to share it on my Instagram and then I decided it was just going to be not edifying to share because it would either have caused snark or cause offense, depending on what side of the fence you are. But there's this headline that's a real headline. It's not, you know, back in 2010, mm-hmm. it would have been an onion headline. Uh, and it's that Arkansas woman accused of XYZ. And it, it's a picture of a redneck dude with more than a five o'clock shadow and just really, really unkempt long-ish, like, shoulder-length, longish hair. And it's absolutely... I mean, it. there's no even... There's not even an attempt to look like a woman. And the headline just blares, Arkansas woman has committed this crime. <laughs> and the mugshot, there's nothing... There's not even an attempt to look feminine. This person just got caught and said, I'm a woman. <laughs> And I don't Dear know, Paper, did you have a typo? It's so absurd. Letter to the editor. It's so absurd. Um, I have two things, two directions I can go from here. One is just when I was saying that I didn't think it would be edifying to share a per- particular snarky post on Instagram. Last night at the beginning of the church meeting that you missed. Ah, uh, one of I, these days I'm going to make you'll get one. one of these anyway, fun church business meetings. It, it, they're not fun church business meetings. They're just really interesting to me because I'm new to it all. But the, our pastor gives an opening little devotional thought and he's preaching through John and we're in John 13. So he was discussing where Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And what does that mean to us as we live out our everyday life and one of his challenges was to for us to ultimately be more interested in other people be more relational with other people be the type of person that people are uh blessed when they've had an interaction with you or know that you're actually interested in them and you care about them when you have the opportunity to engage with them, because first of all, you've chosen to engage with them, but then in the the way in which you do. And he made a comment that I, I wrote down and now I can't find the paper I wrote it down on. But the basic gist was a good friend is someone who makes you better for Jesus because you've been around them. And that was really thought provoking to me that it's if of all the self-centered ways that we can think about what makes a person a good friend to me? A good friend makes me feel good about myself. A good friend cares about me. A good fr- friend is interested in me. A good friend will go out of their way for me. And this just totally is a kingdom-focused way of thinking about what a good friend is, which is that a good friend is someone that I am a better 
citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm a better advocate of the gospel. I'm a better uh, participant in what Jesus is doing in the world because I have spent time with this person. That's it. That's your, that's, that's your, my thought. Oh, um, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, I, you don't have I, to have I, a no, really good point. I don't have a good, no, I just don't have one. I'm, I'm just, just trying to interact with you here on the show. Cause this is what we do. <laughs> Um, I just think I just think it was thought provoking, and I wanted to throw it out there, there to you and to other people. Well, there is the concept that you surround to to you surround yourself. Well, there's the biblical concept of who you surround yourself with, right? And then there's the concept that's also uh, quite common in the fact that you know if you surround yourself with better people, you yourself will be a better person, and. Not spiritually, but that makes sense if you do the same thing spiritually, too. I mean, yeah, like a band, like if I was, if I'm a mediocre musician, if I surround myself with excellent musicians, they elevate my mediocrity because they're so, they're great. That's true. Yeah. Same thing if you're, I was always frustrated playing tennis in high school because I was on the tennis team at our high school for three years. And if you play someone who's not great, it's really hard to play really well. If you play someone who's good or very good, if you play someone who's better than you, they will more than likely beat you, but you will have played a really good match. At least was my experience with tennis, which was tremendously frustrating because I always felt like when I was playing someone who wasn't as good as I was, I should be crushing them. But somehow I just came down to just above their level or exactly (laughs) at their level. And then I'd play against someone who who could handily beat me and I'd play phenomenal match and still lose because they mm-hmm. were better than I was. But yeah, no, I just think in terms of thinking about what sort of friendship we offer to people and all in the very multifaceted way that we are, we are people and weird and hard and made in the image of God and all the things is our goal, not in a Jesus jukey way, not in a, We spent time talking about Jesus and I rebuked them for sins that I see in their lives and I quoted scripture to them sort of way. But are they better in the kingdom of God for having spent time with me? Or have I dragged them down by my coarse joking or by my complaints or by us being in a spiral of self-centeredness and just focused on our own pleasure and our own comfort or our own miseries? Or is there a way that we're able to spur one another on to love and good deeds just by virtue of being together? And some of that is deliberate and intentional intentionality when you're together. And some of it, I think, is just when iron sharpens iron, if you're hanging out with someone, like you said, who's who's just a great person, it helps you to become a better person. And the point of that better is in the kingdom of God. Well, look at the times. I mean, going back, if you guys have followed us for any length of time, one of our biggest themes last year in over the course of our content that we talked about was just the concept of, of being around the table together and sharing life with one another, one another. And there's all those times in our lives where we uh, have people over or we have an evening together and 
I'll be honest. Like I will suggest having people over that are easy to be with. You, you walk away from an evening with them feeling renewed, Mm -hmm. refreshed, not drained, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the opposite of, you know, those types of people that, that you walk away from. And I think there's a, there is definitely a spiritual element to that, but, um, I feel like that's that's probably how Jesus felt with the three disciples who were closest to him, the Mm. refreshed and not drained. And then, uh, you know, not that they weren't, they were also disciples who were bickering and whatnot, but, uh, not as needy as people got further and further out from where they were. Or we're studying Philippians in our life group. And when Paul talks about the Philippians, he has this refreshed and not drained sort of posture when he talks about the time that he spent with them, where it's like, all right, I love the Corinthians and I'm going to gird myself up to go spend time with them or to write to them, but I'm going to be real drained by the time I'm done with them. And it's both of you need relationships of both types in your life. You can't just surround yourself with people who only fill you up. You need to there's a lot of hurting people in the world who don't fill anybody up, who still need to be loved on. But <laughs> you're a hard person to love. People love are weird bit. and hard. No, that actually brings me to something else I've been thinking about a lot in the past week. So some of you guys know that JR and I met when we were working at an organization called Peacemaker Ministries. And when Peacemakers sort of started going shrinking, uh, they I worked in the international division and they cut the international division. And in order to not leave hanging all of these relationships that particularly the man who was my boss had been cultivating for decade for a couple of decades he and then a man who was is a full-time missionary lived and raised his family in africa is back stateside and has the passion and the expertise he did a phd in african peacemaking sorts of things uh they formed a nonprofit to continue supporting the work of people that peacemakers had been working with around the world and one of the main focuses of the nonprofit is a PhD program that was embedded in a seminary in the Philippines. And where I come into this is to have a nonprofit, you can't just have two people, you have to have at least three people on the board. <laughs> and so I am the check in once a quarter with them board member who doesn't do anything else except sit on a one and a half hour Zoom meeting once a quarter with them and they're very very kind people who think that that's great and are grateful for me doing that or at least they say they are but one of the things that they have been processing over the last couple years is they're both well past retirement age one of them has very bad hearing and can't really engage with people who don't speak english well because he can't really understand them the, his wife's health is also poor enough that he doesn't want to be traveling a ton. And they're, they need to be twilighting their ministries, basically. And for three, four years now, he has been trying. He's been, in kind of an unorthodox way, the director of this PhD program. And for the seminary, it's fantastic because they're not paying a faculty member, but they get a PhD program under their name, basically for free. And he has been telling them for years now, 
I'm not going to be the director of this program. I'm retiring. I'm withdrawing. I'm pulling back from being the director. I will teach on an adjunct basis, but I'm not going to be the director. And this program, the, the seminary has never stepped up and appointed. So they've kind of hopped from one interim person to another and nobody's taken ownership of it. And so the future of this PhD program, even for students who are still actively involved in the program, waiting to have more classes offered, Mm -hmm. waiting to have supervisors for their dissertation, things like this, are in this state of questioning and limbo. And uh, it's just as I was I was on a call with them yesterday afternoon, and I was thinking, you know, these two men are having to trust God with the legacy of these years of work that they've put into this program because they can't force anybody's hand. They can't force someone to take ownership of something. They can't force someone to invest time and energy in something that they are not super passionate about investing time and energy in. And let's be honest, in order to make something like this go forward, you have to have a real champion who's going to work, fight really hard for the finances and the time. Yeah. Um, And then I was just thinking about the situation at the seminary, which is that they're always, probably always short of money because it's a developing world seminary. They have this constant influx of Americans who will go teach or be involved in the administration of the seminary as missionaries. And then they have a family crisis at home or they have a health crisis. And so there's this revolving door of people and very few people who are stable enough to keep it going. And they have all these balls in the air because they have all of these things going on and are poorly staffed. And then they probably have their own health challenges and they've been managing COVID and they've been managing geopolitical issues. And I, I was I was sitting there mulling about all the things going on that even if these people are well-intentioned and would love to see this program continue, they just are pulled in so many different directions and stretched with so many of their own challenges that it was just sort of this microscope for me of thinking about how pretty much everybody in our lives operates right now. (laughs) (laughs) That the older I get, the more I realize that pretty much everybody has this swirling going on around them in their family and their finances, in their geopolitics, in, you know, however much they're consuming the news, whatever personal demons they're battling, uh, you know, addictions in the United States are off the charts, relational issues, uh, prodigal children, aging parents, work issues. We have a couple friends who are struggling tremendously in their work situation right now. Uh, And then just mental health, physical health. I don't know. There's just so much going on. I, I, I don't know. I feel like pretty much everybody needs you to be a really good friend to them because they have some sort of uh, battle, you know, that old, kind of cliche because you've heard it so much saying be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle that you can't Mm -hmm. see but I guess the older I get and the more in tune with how people are doing I get the more I'm like wow that's really really true life on this fallen world is really hard 
on all sorts of different levels. And I, I don't know. I just want to be the sort of person who sees people where they're hurting at least a little bit. So even if it's just a passing interaction that they feel blessed because they've been around someone who doesn't expect them to be doing swimmingly all the time. I had an interaction on Sunday that along those lines, um, I was walking into church and there was another, I'm trying to be a lot better at, you know, reaching out to people and introducing myself and being interested and involved because, you know, the situation we came out of, I feel pretty beat up and used and just like not really that inclined to, (laughs) you know, make new relationships, put myself out there. Um, but anyway, I asked the skin was that we kind of just exchanged the cursory, hey, how are you, as we walked into the building. And I said, yeah, how are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm okay. You know, my yeah, my stomach's been really bothering me this morning and stuff. And and I think I followed up on that um, a little bit. But it, it just kind of made me wonder about the character. What? Most people aren't going to reveal themselves in any detail. Mm-hmm. Like you can safely assume that if you ask somebody how they're doing, or if somebody asks you how you're doing, this would be a better way to put it. If somebody asks you how you're doing, they don't want a detailed answer. They're just being polite. They don't mm-hmm. care. Or they may care, but they don't really care, if that makes sense. Um, they don't have the time to care that much. But then here's here's kind of the opposite reaction, and it kind of made me like contemplate, is this something that this particular church body is cultivating or has unknowingly cultivated? Or is it just his particular personality? That guy... Or if it's my face. That It could be your face. Um, That guy works a lot on the South Side. Does he? Yeah. Huh. And he... So he spends a lot of time... Our South Side, you guys, is our, is our most broken part of town. And I think he works with a lot of people who are really broken. And so for him to readily say a very specific thing that he is struggling with is probably a natural thing for him because he spends so much time identifying with people who if they're being honest you say hey how are you doing not a single one of them is going to say I'm doing great they all have some struggle so for him to it probably becomes natural for him I I have noticed too that a lot of in a lot of people's relationships and I've made this comment before that I think that there's a lot of people that just and I don't mean this to say they, they're not thinkers, but they just don't think that deeply about things. And maybe they're busy, maybe they're tired, maybe they're stressed or overwhelmed, but they just kind of like... Uh, don't forget, maybe they're spending a lot of time on their phones. Yeah, but they just don't really think that deep about a lot of things. And that includes themselves. Yeah. You know, they don't sit back and contemplate um, why they are the way they are. What circumstances or life events have led to them formulating opinions or formulating their approach to relationships or informed how they interact with people or, you know, just all of these different things. Think about David Pallison right now, you know, but all these different things in our lives that shape who we are and how we engage with the world. And a lot of people don't think about those things. Um, so it's almost... I think my point was something along the lines like they don't think about them, so they're not even really in tune with being able to give an being able to give an honest answer, answer or even open up to people. So I, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, 
speaking of people being in tune with things and then cultivating a right response to it, I don't know how much you've been following the news of the last few days, but the social media accounts that I'm following are, some of them are kind of going crazy about what exactly is it that the U.S. and Canada are shooting down off the coast of Alaska? Mm-hmm. And is it, are we on the verge of nuclear war with Russia and China or are aliens invading? And apparently Kim Kardashian just did a photo shoot with a bunch of women in swimsuits wearing alien heads and, you know, trying to cash in on <laughs> anything that she can. And Biden just gave a terrible, bumbling press conference, speaking of revealing Does he give any... Does he give any non-bumbling yeah, press conferences? Well, apparently it They're was... kind of comedic on, the, on one hand. Yeah, but yeah. But at the same time, the if hand, we're on the verge of nuclear war, it's not really funny. <laughs> but um, the um, I texted a friend who is usually really in tune with all of the things like I am, where there are some people who come over to our house and they see the all of the my Costco food storage in our garage and they sort of laugh at it and other people who sort of laugh at it but are also like oh I know where I'm coming if there's an issue and then other people <laughs> like we go through that food so fast we do except for the 200 pounds of wheat kernels oh, that the I have kernels, under yeah. your thing but um you know and we because you hunt it, it, you know you can't you have to have freezer space for an entire elk or an elk and a deer or whatever. You have no idea what you're going to get, but you're going to preserve it all. Mm-hmm. And unless you spend 24 hours a day for weeks on end canning chili or cooked meat, you freeze it. That's what you do with with red meat or with bulk meat. You freeze it. And so we have a lot of freezer space in that same garage. Anyway, this particular friend of mine is more like a, you know hey, I see you, nice job, sort of person when she sees my food storage. So I texted her because there's this crazy ecological disaster going on in Ohio right now that millions of people's water supply is being affected by the government. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but if if you're not following the news, you can Google Ohio train derail and figure out what's going on from your own trusted news sources. If you are following the news, you've probably formed opinions about it anyway. You know, and but there are these contamination maps about how far the air and the water supply are going to be contaminated. Uh, food supply, because Ohio is an extremely fertile part of the country. Uh, and then there's all these other... There have been five train derailments carrying toxic things in the last couple of days and a tanker truck full of nitric oxide so i mean there's just there's a plastics factory five acre factory in florida burning as we speak that's releasing toxic fumes into the air in florida anyway so there's all these conspiracy theories or even if you don't think that it's even if you think it's all pure coincidence the fact is the air and water supply for millions upon millions of americans has been severely compromised in the last week and I texted her and I was like, how, how are you doing with all this? What are you thinking? And she said, I just got off the phone with my former pastor, which kind of cracked me <laughs> up. But, and I was like, okay, okay, that's great. And she said, he took me straight to the passage in, now I can't remember which gospel it is in, but the passage where the tower had fallen and killed a bunch of people. And then paired with that is Jesus interacting with the man who was born blind. 
And the question that the disciples put to Jesus in both cases was, whose fault is this? Whose fault was that the man was born blind? Was it some sin that God knew he was going to do? Or was it a sin of his parents? Whose fault was it that, that all of these people... Were they innocent people? Clearly they weren't innocent people that they were killed in this in this disaster. And she said Jesus answer to them was the same as how we should be thinking about all of the stressful things, all of the geopolitical, ecological things going on in our world right now, which if we're not doing as Elizabeth Elliot says, just do the thing that God has called you to to, to do today. Bake the bread, love on the kids, clean the house, Love your neighbor as yourself. These things that are very tangible. In fact, just today, this is a little bit of a side thing. Uh, one of my kids was like, why do mom and dad get to tell me what to do? And so he says, well, because God tells them what to do, and then they tell us what to do. Well, how do they know what God tells them what to do? Well, they read, we read our Bible. God has very clearly given us instructions about how to raise you. And our priority system and things like love your neighbor, take care of the orphan and widow. They're very tangible things mm-hmm. that even as we look at all the unknowns swirling around us, we have very tangible things that we should be doing today. But what Jesus tells the people in these two circumstances that they really need to focus on is repentance. Get yourself right with God. It doesn't matter if there's a nuclear war where Russia and China aim their bombs at all of the nuclear silos in northern Montana that the Ch- this Chinese spy balloon was for sure checking out. And there's most of those have been decommissioned. No, there's they're no not. Missiles in them. No, there's not. There's still yeah. a whole bunch of nuclear missiles all along the highline. <clears throat> no. And you know whatever whatever it is that that is your major fear, minor fear, you know. Um, husband driving on terrible roads back and forth to a ski area multiple times a week. You know, whatever your fears are, your primary job is to be right with God, which is to repent. And then to call the people around you to be right with God. And then to live in accordance with your statement of faith, which is that you are right with God and that God has created the world to operate in a certain way. And you you have very tangible things like being a good steward, like raising your children well, like loving your neighbor as yourself, like taking up your cross. Wow, there's some major door slamming going on. <laughs> it's, it doesn't sound like it's an anger, though. It just sounds like I don't just know. kids being kids. I, can you tell the difference between a non-angry door slam and an angry door slam? Yes, an angry door slam is usually preceded by some yelling from That's one true. kid we to another. We have not heard any yelling. No, it's been completely silent. That's because they know that we're recording and they're not supposed to not be silent. Anyway, um, we'll go tell our children to repent because they could die in a nuclear bomb fallout tomorrow. And that's all I've got to say. Here's flowers and sunshine. We've just made you guys feel really good, huh? (laughs) Um, Speaking of that, no, I mean, but that's, you know. broccoli sprouts to the end of the world. If you... If you find yourself getting overwhelmed with the news of the day, worrying if you have enough provisions, worrying, you know, about tomorrow, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, you know, if what you eat and drink is contaminated with toxic chemicals and the government said we're safe and it's not, you know, whatever your worry is, and I will confess that I have a lot of worries along those lines, 
you have, it, it is good news. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. You don't have control over it, but you know who does. And he tells you what to do, which is make sure you're right with me and then everything is going to work out. The other solution, aside from always making sure you're right with God, is uh, just don't pay attention to the news. I, I, I don't. It's gloom necessi- and doom everywhere all the time. It's not necessarily no. That I don't. I don't think that's it a good is. answer. But I'm not going to argue with you about that. Uh, speaking of it's a finance. Speaking of your st- snarky comment about sunshine and now here's gloom and doom. We've had two funny stories of people who listen to us and other people coming in and for sure communicate like. This communicates to me, we have we have people. We have our people who get us, and then we have people who don't, and we're just not for them, and that's okay. Because other people are not for us, most too. people are Most people are not. But, um, but there was a guy who lives in the Midwest, I hope your air and water supply are okay, who... <laughs> Probably who, fine. Who listened to part of one of our podcasts while driving a first long, date. And he's a long time listener. He's been with us since the beginning. And was driving, I can't remember if it was a blind date or just a first date. Listened to us while driving to the date place and <laughs> texted JR that that happened to be an episode that I spent most of the time talking about our digestive system on. <laughs> And I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, but I'm also kind of not because you didn't think it was terrible either, but it made it real clear. I mean, that was part of what helped make clear that she was not somebody that you were going to carry on in a relationship with. So I'm sorry and you're welcome. And then I had another friend. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I'm sorry. You're welcome. I have another friend who texted me. She said, my roommate just walked into li- me listening to your podcast and you were just talking about food. And she goes, are you just listening to random people talk about snacks? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes and no. But yes, kind of. They also talk about digestive systems and nuclear bombs and random other stuff but anyway those two made me laugh and to anyone who listens to us regularly and interacts with us again thank you you make our hearts happy i should um, weird and hard people with us yeah i should figure out what episode that was and link it to the show it was pretty um (laughs) it's pretty (laughs) scientific I don't even remember, truthfully. There's so many things that just come in and out of my head, especially with homeschooling. We're doing the Revolutionary War right now, just the beginning of it, the Declaration of Independence. And in the books that we're reading, I'm getting so much more out of it than I think I ever got in high school history, learning about the American War for Independence and the reasons behind it and all of these circumstances and things that... uh, you know, could have broken things, could have made things. For example, the battle at Saratoga. Historians say there are seven battles that have changed the course of world history over the course of all world history. And the battle at Saratoga was one of those because it was the first battle that the Americans won against the English. And it convinced the French that America could win this war. 
and they it convinced them to openly join the war against England and aid America, which meant that we had access to ammunition and weapons, as well as more troops. And <laughs> I heard child just I heard by music, music go by, but then child was also carrying a cat. <laughs> of course, maybe the cat swallowed <laughs> upside the music. down like a baby. Uh. Anyway, so this particular battle, which was almost won by default because this haughty British general had looked at a map, which was probably not drawn to scale, and thought, I'm going to land here in Canada and I'm going to march my troops down and catch the American troops in a sandwich between this other British general. And he didn't account for the fact that that North America is huge and how far he would have to go because he'd never been here. He's just sitting in England planning. And he didn't account for the fact that the roads were literally just single-person trails through brush and wilderness and bogs and stuff. And so they couldn't get their wagons with munitions and equipment and food down these trails all the way from Canada to New York. And they didn't also didn't account for the fact that Americans were scraggly and would shoot at them from behind trees and stuff. So they just sort of showed up on this battlefield and gave up. And that was the Battle of Saratoga. <laughs> And changed the course of American history, because without that battle, France would not have joined the war. We probably would not have won, and there would have been no United States of America. Fascinating. Anyway, uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that that's always going through my head. And that sometimes includes the digestive system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. And it a lot of times includes food. Get yourself some broccoli sprouts, people. All right, broccoli sprouts. If you guys want the link for some of these things we've mentioned, it'll be in the show notes. If you'd like to leave us a five-star review on Amazon, or sorry, on iTunes, that would be absolutely amazing. Huge compliment to us. If you do want to reach out to us and tell us a funny story or just say hi, you can do that on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. Or you can uh, and scroll down there and, and uh, send us a postcard while you're there. Order some People Are Weird and Hard stickers. Or you can uh, join our Telegram group. That's by far the, the number one uh, place that uh, people tend to get a hold of us at. You can do that in the private link uh, in the show notes as well. That said, I need to... I don't even know how I'm going to get this meeting in and get to judo or get home and have dinner or anything on a reasonable amount of time so we're gonna close the show good luck with that gonna, well yeah because i gotta take the kids tonight yep um anyway that's it guys we'll hopefully see you uh next week next week <laughs>